Hey, this is the Young Farmers Podcast. I'm Lindsay Lushershoot. A lot of farmers depend on farmers markets. Farmers get up at dawn, pack the truck, and spend a long day selling what they've grown. It's hard work, but it pays off. With no middleman, farmers get a fair price for what they've grown, and they get to interact directly with customers. This community relationship means a lot. This week was National Farmers Market Week, and to celebrate, I spoke with Ben Feldman of the National Farmers Market Coalition. We talk about the surprising future of EBT and SNAP benefits at farmers markets and what lies ahead if the farm bill is in pass this September. Hi, I'm Camille Cody, farm manager at Grand Oak Farm in East Tennessee and a leader of the East Tennessee Young Farmers Coalition. I'm a member of the National Young Farmers Coalition because I love growing food and flowers. And there's a real threat to our nation's food security and local economies, as many farmers are aging out of business and young people can't afford land or health care. For $35 a year, you can join this amazing coalition of people too. In addition to being part of a bright and just future for agriculture in the United States, you'll also get discounts like 33% off growing for market subscriptions, 10% off Dripworks irrigation supplies, and other awesome tools and workwear. To join, go to youngfarmers.org. Okay, so are you recording? Yeah. And Ben, remind me where, are you in Berkeley? Is that what I read? Is that right? So I live in Albany, California. Like um, like you guys, we have staff around the country. We're sort of nominally based in D.C., um, which is where the majority of our staff and board are based. But we do have staff in Florida and New Orleans and California and sort of up and down the East Coast. So tell me about Farmers Market Coalition. What is the mission of the organization and what what sorts of work do you do? Who is part of the coalition? Yeah, so um, we're a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Our mission is to strengthen farmers markets for the benefit of farmers, consumers, and communities. We're a membership-based organization representing uh, approximately 4,000 farmers markets and uh, the farmers that participate in them. Wow, that's that is a lot of farmers markets. How many farmers markets are there across the country? Yeah, right now there's about eight thousand farmers markets in the country. Um, that's according to the USDA farmers market database that they maintain. And what's the breakdown of how those markets are run and sort of like the the size and and scope? What's the range um, and sort of the landscape of farmers markets? Yeah, there's an incredible diversity of ways in which farmers markets are operated. Um, I would say the single most common model is a nonprofit organization that takes responsibility for the administration and management of the market on a day-to-day basis. Um, And those organizations vary in size and scope from um, all volunteer-run organizations that run one market to some of the largest farmers market operators in the country, like the Pacific Coast Farmers Market Association, between them and Grow NYC, um, are they're you know depending on how you measure the t- uh, the two largest market operators, um, both as I understand running about fifty markets. There are markets that are run by cities or run by farmers or run by an entrepreneurial individual who's coming out and running the markets. Some states do have restrictions on who is able to run markets or what the market is defined as. Many states use a definition of two or more farmers selling directly to the public. Um, Some don't have definitions. And some, like the state of California, restrict uh, who can receive authorization to run what's called a certified farmer's market. California has a little bit of a unique system. But only nonprofit organizations, government entities, and 
uh, farmers are able to run farmers markets here in the state of California. So right, yeah, that we definitely see a lot of that um, up where I am in in New York State. With each small town, sort of has its own nonprofit organization or organ- volunteer group that sponsors sponsors the local farmers market. This will air at the end of farmers market week. Is is that an official holiday, <laughs> farmers market week? Yeah, absolutely. It's our it, it's the high holiday of, of the farmers market world. It is also officially recognized by USDA. They've um, they've signed an official proclamation each of the last few years, and we anticipate that they'll sign one. Terrific. And what what will we likely have experienced during farmers market? week. Yeah, well, um, Farmer's Market Week is really a celebration of all of the wonderful things that farmer's markets are about. Many markets are having um, special celebrations or contests. Very cool. So in terms nationally, the impact of farmer's markets, in terms of dollars, how much revenue is coming through farmer's markets in a a given year in the U.S.? Yeah, so... um, the most recent number that we had for that was um, the USDA put together a direct marketing census where they surveyed farmers engaged in direct marketing activities. Um, and the number that came out of that was $711 million, uh, which is a pretty big number um, to hear all at once. And then we also suspect that you know the, that number, if anything, is underreported. Given the, the methods used, there are almost certainly farmers who do participate in direct marketing and sell at farmers markets um, who aren't part of that 711. So you know, my estimate is probably closer to a billion dollars. Wow. And I know a lot of the farmers who are part of Young Farmers Coalition certainly make up some of that number in our recent survey of young and beginning farmers across the U.S. Farmers markets were just just um, after CSA in terms of where the most popular place is for young and beginning farmers to, to market their produce. We hear from farmers across the country that in some cases that their sales are not increasing at farmers markets. What does the data say about uh, farmers market sales nationwide? And are we at peak farmers market is, you know, have we sort of leveled off? Or have we reached sort of capacity in terms of sales at, at farmers markets? I think that's a that's a great question. And um, I've been in this, this work for 15 years now. And I, I feel like I've been had uh, that question has been being asked the entire time that I've been working in this field. Um, I think as with anything, we see we see ebbs and flows in terms of how people react. I do think we're in a position in, in a situation where many of the direct marketing channels for a per- an extended period of time were they were unique avenues to purchase certain products for many t- years, heirloom tomatoes, right? And that I think what we've seen is we've seen a great deal of increased competitiveness across the board as it relates to how people get their food, whether that's from meal deliveries or from greater sophistication um, in terms of box delivery programs or online ordering. So people have just really, um, I think we're seeing a great deal of change in how people get their food. I think particularly markets that have traditionally been um, you know, that are longstanding and um, have had an established customer base. We hear from markets around the country 
about you know, from from what I've heard, it's a, you know it feels like somewhat mixed in terms of overall growth, and, and we don't for an industry this size, there's not a, a, a tremendous amount of research on year to year trends in terms of total sales at farmers markets. It's it's a, actually pretty difficult to get um, to get that information. We hear from markets about different things. We hear from some that continue to grow. We hear from some that feel like they are um, their sales are stagnating. Um, so I, I think it's I think it's time for markets to th- be really thoughtful about how they're reaching their customers um, and their their role um, in terms of supporting their farmers. It seems like, in part, farmers markets just can't take it for granted that 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 is the primary place to get local produce in a given community now. There are so many other options. I imagine it's a new challenge for farmers markets to be able to do marketing to make sure that those customers come back and to, to increase that customer base. I, I think that's a something that not just farmers markets have to contend with, but any farmer doing direct sales it's a challenge and an important one to make sure that we are communicating the value proposition that that we're making to to consumers because it is different. It is um, a really unique and important way to to buy food in support of farmers. Yeah, and I think you're touching on what's really unique and special about direct sales. For one, it is an opportunity to meet and interact with the person who's growing food. And and as fewer people are engaged in agriculture across the board, that's a tremendous opportunity for people um, and one that many people really are are hungry for and one that, you know, isn't doesn't get resolved, you know, if you get your food delivered through a box program or a meal kit or something like that. The other piece that's really wonderful and beautiful about farmers markets is it is direct support for farmers. And um, obviously it doesn't take a, a, an economist or a mathematician to, to know that eh, the more people involved in the process of getting that food from the farmer to the consumer, the, the less control the farmer has over that, that product and the less money they make. So th- th- those, those are still value propositions that exist um, that, that are unique to farmers markets and, and other forms of direct marketing. And then of course, the convenience factor and, and farmers and markets, I think, would do, do well to think about ways in which they can increase convenience for customers. Yeah, absolutely. What are ways that like a, a farmer's market can make itself more convenient to consumers? Is that more days during the week or after work hours? What sorts of innovations are farmers markets making to address that trend? Because I, I think that's absolutely right. I, you know, myself as a working mom, I know how I'm the person who buys food in our house. And it is really hard for me to, I mean, thankfully, I live on the farm. So I get most, most of our food from our own farm. But I love going to farmers markets, but it's even hard for me to find time to, to do that. So what are you seeing across the field where farmers markets are trying to adapt and, and change? Yeah, I mean, I think farmers markets are doing some some great and innovative work. Um, there are some markets that do like what they call uh, oftentimes a veggie valet, where basically customers can come shop 
leave their food and then go get their car and come pick it up, right? That's a very simple thing for markets that struggle with parking so that people don't have to schlep their produce a long way to where they've parked. Mm. Um, other places take it another step further. and They'll even do a shop for you, right? You can place an order either online or otherwise, and they'll gather up that order for you, and then you swing by and pick it up and pay. You know, some of those are following those ideas of online ordering type systems. One challenge, uh, of course, for markets as it relates to hours, of course, is markets exist as a benefit for communities and we want, you know, as we try to make them more convenient for them, one of the questions is how do we not make them more difficult for farmers, right? Sure. One of the benefits of a farmer's market for a farmer is, you know, you come in and sell for four or five hours. Obviously some markets are longer than that. And then that's the extent of your, your sales window that's only half the time of that it takes to, to take care of that day, right? To sell for four or five hours at the market, there's still probably just in terms of packing up equipment, driving, set up, tear down, driving back, and then putting things, you know, it's a full work day just to do that. So we, you know, that's something that markets have struggled with. And so just, you know, in some ways, just extending the hours doesn't really get us there. So it's, I think it's important to think about other ways of meeting consumers where they are. Some markets I've seen just do little things, start to use shopping carts, um, mm, things like that. Right. In case you didn't bring your basket or all, <laughs> all of the appropriate uh, equipment to shop for produce and pumpkins and melons and all that stuff. Little things make a big difference. The reason grocery stores originally introduced carts was to get people to buy more, more. stuff. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. By the hand basket that you're carrying or the shopping bags that you're carrying, um, one way to solve that is you know, is, is something as simple as shopping cart. So another concern I'm sure that, um, and I know Farmers Market Coalition, another issue that you all have been focusing on that is also not good for farmers markets is this issue of SNAP and EBT. Can you explain at present how SNAP and um, EBT benefits, also commonly known as food stamps, how those are processed and how farmers at farmers markets are are um, accepting those benefits. Sure. Yeah. So the situation um, in front of us is that Novadia, which is the company that processes um, 30 to 40% of the SNAP in the country is slated to go out of business. At this point, it looks like the end of August. So there may be a longer extension, but... The company is going out of business. Correct. And so um, obviously there's been a lot of questions about what's going on here. And Novadia, like I said, they provide SNAP between for processing for between 30 to 40% of the farmer's market industry. And they... For a period of time, received a contract with the federal government to provide SNAP to, at farmers markets, and then that contract went out for bid. And then the organization that I work for, the Farmers Market Coalition, had that contract for a while. And when we had it, we had multiple service providers. So in addition to Novadia and their product, we offered at least three other options at any given time. Now Novadia is going out of business. In some case, some of those contracts were signed as recently as the end of, of last year. So farmers markets and farmers were expecting that they would have working equipment for another 
some cases, two plus years. Is this the same equipment that someone would use, a farmer would use to process a credit card or debit card, or is it a different terminal? Yeah, so the Novodia product processes both EBT Snap and credit and debit. Just to back up a, a little bit, it is now an electronic system. So they're swipe cards that look basically just like credit cards um, for all intents and purposes. And when a customer goes to the market, they have to still have to use the same card. Obviously, temporary market setups are not conducive to um, electronic forms of payment. So the process of getting all of the states switched over to electronic food stamps started happening in, in the late 90s. And by 2002, they were already switched all switched over. Paper food stamps were pretty easy to use. Well, with the electronic system, there wasn't an obvious way because farmers markets don't necessarily have um, a phone line or electricity. So markets around the country were, you know, really worked to try and get this, this situation resolved. And then in response to all of this, one of the things that USDA did is they spun out a program to help support getting equipment to markets. So that program has been running since going back, running about four or five years now. And ultimately, sort of in this current situation, really what happened was farmers and markets were provided a product that was paid for through government funds and given an expectation that it would work for up to three years. And now they're in a situation where that's not happening. The problem is because markets were provided this equipment that won't work any other way, they would have to now out of pocket buy new equipment. I see. So so these farmers were given this equipment or the market was given this equipment to use for processing SNAP EBT. And that equipment only works with whatever system Novodia has set up. And it's it can't work with the other other companies offering a, a similar service. Right. And and I guess um, just another nuance, because I think uh, it's important for people to understand how is processing SNAP EBT at a market different than processing a credit card? Can you just sort of walk us through like why why this needs its own separate system um, that's different? Yeah, there's actually really very little difference in what it what it feels like or looks like to process a credit card versus SNAP. The difference is entirely on the back end. Um, and that's down to the security protocols that FNS uses. What's FNS? Um, FNS is U- USDA Food and Nutrition Service, and that's the um, the part of USDA that handles SNAP processing. So rather than talking to a credit card company, you're talking to, this card is talking to FNS. So you have to have that link established or that data exchange established, which is different than your square or something of that nature. But but some of those companies are now getting into the business of also providing the service of accepting EBT. Some of the, like Square Up is one that I was reading about that is looking into this or has this technology already been developed? Yeah, it's not on the market yet from Square. That would be a, a game changer, I think. Um, but yeah, there you know, there are multiple companies along the way between um, the end user and USDA. So that's some of why this is challenging. Regardless, if you're processing debit and credit too, you have to be developing in two different environments. So it's more expensive to run a company that's trying to do these things with EBT than 
than something else. Um, and forward-thinking companies tend not to want to be investing in you know older technology, right? So it's not the way most of the financial service industry is going. And so it makes some companies reluctant to, to get involved in it. I mean, this is like such a world beyond my, my current understanding. If EBT and these security protocols are so different than what may be the industry standard, is there a campaign or movement um, in or outside of USDA to change that, to make EBT easier for, it's not just farmers markets, but any any sort of vendor to accept? I mean, there's definitely widespread interest. The challenge is that it would require entirely re, you know, redoing the system. You know, I think there's there's questions. USDA and Congress would be very concerned about any new system that was put together. Um, so, you know, in some ways, we get a bit of institutional inertia there. You know, it would cost money to do so, and so I think, I mean. I think there's a tremendous amount of interest and I think you know companies like Square or Amazon or others who are you know large technology companies would you know would probably love to see that because my sense is that they want to engage in in this um, market but it is again it's costly to do so and um, requires them to be making investments in places where, like I said, they, they probably don't want to be investing. So this, the issue of terminals not working at farmers markets, it's a, it's a big deal in terms of, in terms of dollars, what, what is the amount of sales that go through EBT at a, at a farmer's market of that $711 million as like maybe the, a low estimate of total farmers market sales. How much of that is EBT? Um, so we know that in fiscal year 2017, there were $22.4 million in SNAP sales at farmers markets and with direct marketing farmers. So $4 million is the total SNAP at farmers markets. And if we think that Novadia might do um, 30 to 40%, then that's easily... Oh, 30 to 40% of the, t- of the 22. Yeah. Yeah. So that's easily $6 million. That is not insignificant. So what what's what is the call to action? Like what, what is the solution here? I mean, should we expect that as, um, because there's been organization to kind of keep Novo Dia in business for the time being. Um, can you tell us about that? And, uh, beyond that sort of August extension, should we expect that at many markets EBT will not be accepted? Um, well, I think the, I don't think the conclusion here is that most markets will stop accepting SNAP or EBT. There will certainly be markets and farmers that that do um, should nobody go out of business. And, and some consumers who are thinking about shopping the market should expect that mar- most markets are going to find replacement equipment. Either they're going to pay for it out of pocket or there are, um, they're going to do fundraising to do so. But unfortunately, you know, that's a real impact on the markets and farmers at a time when they're at their busiest. Their peak season, so, right. you know, again, yeah. So, so consumers should expect who are using EBT, you can still go to the farmer's market. It just might, it might be a bit different. Yeah, it's true. There will be some markets that, that will be affected, but the markets that we talk with are really going 
um, the extra mile in order to make sure that there isn't an interruption in service, even if that means having to buy equipment. As far as a call to action, Farmers Market Coalition has a GoFundMe campaign up to support markets um, that need help as it relates to SNAP at farmers markets, whether that's with new equipment or or other support. There's all you know. This is also a farm bill year, and there's an important provision for farmers markets in the Senate version of the farm bill. It's the local agricultural marketing program, um, and that's something that really does need some support. So if your listeners are so inclined, contacting their elected officials, whether they're on in con- in the House or the Senate, that's you know while that's not immediately um, related to this issue, it, it is relevant. And then there there is also a more op, you know, specific opportunity here, and that is one of the ways to, on a long-term basis, to try and assure that we don't end up in this situation again. There are about 10 states who have some version of a wireless equipment program at the state level, and we've seen those programs be very effective the model for that is here in California, where they've gone so far as to include that in their wireless equipment contract with the company. There's a state processor for each state, and when the wireless equipment for farmers markets has been included in that, and there's support services around it like there are here in California, we see a very robust um, SNAP acceptance at farmers markets. So this the state the state of California is is subsidizing that equipment as well. Is that right? Yeah, so states are, there's a little nuance to it. States are required to provide equipment to farmers markets and other non-traditional retailers. Unfortunately, they're not required to provide them with equipment that's wireless. So I see. But some states have chosen to do that, like California, and in choosing to do so, they are taking on half the cost. The feds actually pay the other half of the cost if markets do that. You could think of it as a federal state and private partnership um, in some ways. And that's been very effective. And so modeling that in other states, again, there are about nine other states that have some version of a wireless equipment program where farmers markets are able to access equipment that is you know, wireless equipment at no cost to the market in order to process SNAP at farmers markets. And uh, that's an important, from our, from, from our perspective, that's an important uh, way to move forward. Was, was that, the California program was, or the other states, were those, uh, was that accomplished administratively by the State Department of Agriculture or was there actually a bill and a campaign around that? Um, here in the state of California, that was was handled administratively. Each state has a slightly different name for their agency that that handles SNAP, but they're the ones who negotiate it with um, the state as part of the contract with the state SNAP processor. It's also possible other states have done it differently. Michigan, for example, um, has had their state legislature a- appropriate funds to support wireless equipment at farmers markets. Um, They're also, as I understand it, working on the contract approach as well. Why is this done at the state level? I mean, it's it's a federal benefit. Why are states involved at all? I mean, is there an advantage to that or does it create incredible inefficiency and bureaucracy? Um, Well, you know, the system is actually a hybrid system. It's a you know the way it works is it yes it's a federal benefit but it's administered by the states. So what that means is each individual state uh, operates their program in accordance with the federal rules. For example, 
here in California, it's administered by the um, California Department of Social Services. And, um, and the same is true in, in every state. There's, there's an individual state agency that is responsible for actually administering it. So that's already the way the system works. So that is actually why it makes a lot of sense to pursue this at the state level is because the states are the ones who are actively admit, involved in the administration of the program, whereas federally they allocate the dollars and set the requirements, um, but they don't administer funds to individuals, for example, and they don't have contracts with these companies to administer the programs. Wow. It's a complex system, but I guess it gives opportunity. A lot of our chapters of Young Farmers Coalition, it seems like this is an issue that our farmers should consider digging into as well to think about how their states can be their advocates and, and allies in accepting EBT benefits at farmers markets because from a values perspective for our farmers that they are able to offer their food to everyone. Um, there's clearly incentive programs that can make a difference like the double up um, food bucks program as an example. So those dollars can go f- further and also it, it just basically increases their sales. So In the House side of the farm bill, we saw the farmer's market promotion program totally zeroed out. So so that's one threat to that, the farmer's market promotion program. The other threat is that if the Senate and the House can't come to agreement on a farm bill and pass a farm bill and President Trump doesn't sign a farm bill by the end of this fiscal year at the end of September, then the farmer's market promotion program would be it'll lose all of its money, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Because it doesn't have this permanent baseline funding. But then in this, the Senate did include full funding for the program, but sort of renamed it and streamlined it with um, a related program. So can you tell me about the farmer's market promotion program and the reason why people who care about the food system and and agriculture should be advocates um, for this program? Yeah, the Farmer's Market Promotion Program is one that has has been around for quite a while, but only received funding to run the program more recently. It was actually originally authorized under the the very early um, Direct Marketing Act that happened in the late 70s. Really, the program has been quite effective. Um, The data that we have shows uh, that it's consistently able in markets that receive a, a grant typically see between a 30 and 40 percent increase in customers um, in the year following. Um, they double the number of new customers and farmers uh, increase their revenue, which is really, the, you know, those are the ultimate measures. So with, so with one farmer's market promotion program grant given to a given market, those are the results that you've seen. Yeah, and they're they're used for a wide variety of different things. Um, it's one of the main ways that markets are able to promote, but in particular to innovate around the work that they do. Um, it's it's it, well, it's challenging for for markets to receive most of the traditional forms of investment um, because of their their nature and structure, um, and they really do operate on most of them. Even the the largest market operations have a pretty a tight budget. And so there's not a lot of opportunity to put into um, programs that don't have a proven track record. Um, and this is one way that markets have done that. And it's been very effective over the years. The changes to the program, I think, are 
quite positive uh, in terms of aligning it with other programs doing related work. So, for example, one of you know the the Senate proposal um, combines the farmers market promotion program with the value added producers grant and some other work um, in order to make a more cohesive program, reduce some redundancy, and and that program is called LAMP or the um, Local Agricultural Marketing Program. And that's that's something that we feel pretty strongly is, is important. It also, as you described, gets the program to baseline funding, which for listeners who aren't policy folks, you know, basically just provides the program with a much stronger assurance of funding, as you alluded to. If we don't get a new farm bill on time, September 30th, which is looking less and less likely, then that program goes unfunded until we get to a point where there's a new farm bill. Thanks so much for talking through so many issues with farmers markets these days. Um, you know, Young Farmers Coalition, Young Farmers, and all farmers, we are we are allies in, in this work. Thanks so much, Ben. Bye-bye. To learn more about what the National Farmers Market Coalition is up to, go to farmersmarketcoalition.org. Don't forget to subscribe and review us on iTunes, and please let someone know about the show if you think they'd like it. Thanks to Hannah Beal for editing, and thank you for listening. See you next week. Thank you.